This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, President Zelensky goes to Washington and leaves carrying gifts. President Biden pledges the Patriot air defense system billions of dollars in new aid and makes Zelensky a special promise. So many pages, so little time. Critics are berating the $1.7 trillion spending bill and the short deadline to approve it. We'll hear from some lawmakers. The FTX scandal continues to unfold. Find out what the SEC and federal prosecutors are charging top executives with. States from the East Coast to the Rockies feeling the bite of winter. We have more on the cold streak before Christmas that could make holiday travel more difficult. And in China, the COVID outbreak is out of control. The skyrocketing number of people infected is collapsing the medical system. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is December 22nd, Thursday, and we have powerful winter storms that are expected to make travel difficult for millions of Americans during the holidays. An Arctic blast hit a wide area in the U.S. yesterday. It brought bitter cold and wind chills to many parts of the nation. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on why you should be getting your soup and sweaters out if you haven't already. Freezing weather and sub-zero wind chills, cold enough to induce frostbite on exposed skin within minutes, is dominating much of the nation's forecast heading into the holiday weekend. The National Weather Service says around 200 million people in 48 states are under extreme weather alerts. Freezing air mass descending from the northern plains sent temperatures into a nosedive. Blizzard conditions stretch from the northern plains states to the Great Lakes region. The storm, fed by moisture, could dump up to a foot of snow on the upper Midwest between now and Friday. By Thursday night, a so-called bomb cyclone is expected to form as the strong Arctic front sweeps across the Great Lakes. It could drive temperatures to record-breaking lows on the Gulf Coast and the eastern United States by Friday. Heavy rains, strong winds, and coastal flooding are in store for parts of the Northeast on Thursday and Friday. Wind chill and hard freeze warnings extend through much of Texas, Louisiana, and Alabama. A hard freeze watch has been posted for the Florida Panhandle. Texas will have its power grid's new winterization measures put to the test. Hundreds died in February of 2021 after winter storms overburdened the state's grid and millions of customers lost power. Texas officials say they're confident the grid can handle increased demand. People are reminded to be prepared for power outages. Governors around the country are preparing for the bone-chilling temperatures. North Carolina and Kentucky have both declared a state of emergency. West Virginia issued a state of preparedness, and Colorado and Missouri activated the National Guard. Hardware stores are busy helping people stock up on weather-fighting supplies like shovels, rock salt, and windshield de-icer. The, the ice apocalypse is coming upon us tomorrow, <laughs> and uh, I want to do some of my neighbor's walkways. According to FlightAware, a flight tracking service, over 1,000 U.S. flights have been canceled as of Thursday morning. Many airlines are posting travel waivers to make changing or rebooking flights easier. You can check their websites for details. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. 
If nevertheless, you can expect crowds if you're traveling during the holidays, the projected number are the biggest they've been in three years. AAA forecasts levels just shy of what they were before the pandemic. They estimate close to 113 million people will travel 50 miles or more from December 23rd to January 2nd. Air travel is expected to see a 14% increase over last year. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky was in Washington yesterday. He met with President Biden and addressed a joint meeting of Congress. The trip was the first time the wartime leader left his country since Russia invaded nearly a year ago. And a remarkable primetime address before a joint session of Congress. Ukraine is alive and kicking. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky expressing gratitude for ongoing support from the U.S. amid Russia's invasion with a gift from the front lines. This flag is a symbol of our victory. In this war, we stand, we fight, and we will win because we are united. Ukraine, America, and the entire free world. And reminding Americans the fight for democratic values is not Ukraine's alone. Ukrainian courage and American resolve must guarantee the future of our common freedom the freedom of people who stand for their values. The momentous speech on the heels of an historic White House visit, where President Joe Biden committed to an additional $1.8 billion in security assistance, including a new Patriot surface-to-air missile defense system. The Patriot battery will be another critical asset for Ukraine as it defends itself against Russian aggression. Zelensky's visit comes as Russia mounts unrelenting attacks on Ukraine's critical infrastructure. Russia is using winter as a weapon, freezing people, starving people, cutting them off from one another. The leaders uniting in a symbolic rebuke of Russian President Vladimir Putin, with the hopes a continued alliance will ultimately turn the tide and bring an end to the war. We will stay with you for as long as it takes. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert was in D.C. last night for the visit of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. She uploaded a video of her thoughts about his address on Twitter. The video went viral and has already reached nearly a million people since yesterday evening. The people of Ukraine are suffering. The war is deadly and horrific, and the carnage has not stopped. Sadly, what I didn't hear tonight was a clear explanation of where the first $50 billion we sent to support their efforts went. Until Congress receives a full audit on where our money has already gone, I will not support sending additional money to this war. Boebert continued with a comparison between Ukraine's President Zelensky and President Biden. She remarked that she understands Zelensky is working to protect his country's borders and his people. However, she says it's her wish that the U.S. Commander-in-Chief do the same right here at home. She called on Biden to secure the U.S. southern border and to protect the people of the United States. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert is not the only one who expressed their concerns over the spending bill. With over 4,000 pages of text and just a few days for Congress to pass it, the omnibus government spending bill has its critics. We take a peek under the hood to look at some of their complaints. And today's Daniel Monaghan has more. The country cannot wait for this to be fixed anymore. Representative Dan Bishop of North Carolina tweeted that his team was reading through the bill. He listed some of its standout items, including over $300 million to prepare for an influenza pandemic, including the use of surveillance tools, 
$26 million to the House of Representatives Office of Diversity and Inclusion, more than $3.5 million for the Michelle Obama Trail, $3 million for the LGBT Museum in New York City, over $11 billion for the FBI, as well as funding for a federal building named for Nancy Pelosi. Bishop and Representative Matt Gates appeared together on Firebrand. Gates pointed out that Ukraine got, quote, great treatment in the legislation. Not only will the Ukraine Independence Park be built in D.C., he said the war-torn country will also receive another $47 billion in aid. Bishop remarked that with the newly added $47 billion, the total spent on Ukraine aid will top $100 billion. Russia's entire defense budget is $84 billion. Gates pointed out that nearly $13 billion of that is for economic assistance to stabilize the economy and spur economic recovery. So if you were looking for a, a, an economic nationalist uh, agenda, I guess you've got one. It's just for Ukraine, not for the United States of America. Gates goes on to complain about the spending abroad which the bill contains. He highlights the $32.5 million for the United Nations Population Fund and $575 million for what the bill calls family planning in areas where population growth threatens biodiversity. Just hear that. Abortions as a mechanism for population control. The congressman labeled the policy dystopic and anti-human. Meanwhile, the Reconciliation Program section of the bill allots $25 million abroad for so-called people-to-people reconciliation programs. The idea is bringing people from conflict areas of different ethnic, political, racial, or religious backgrounds together. Critics have taken shots at the idea that people with perhaps centuries-old conflict would resolve their differences in such a U.S.-funded face-to-face get-together. Rand Paul criticized members of the Republican leadership calling the bill a win due to getting $45 billion more for the military. Here's the senator on C-SPAN. Are we at risk for being invaded by a foreign power if we don't put $45 billion into the military? Or are we more at risk by adding to a $31 trillion debt? Across the aisle, Senator Chuck Schumer called the bill an aggressive and essential investment in American families, while Senator Patrick Leahy lauded the bill for looking after military veterans. And in Florida, Senator Rick Scott said he would prefer a short-term spending bill to fund the government into the first quarter of 2023. He says that would allow the new House leadership to have a say in government spending going forward. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Wednesday was supposed to mark the end of Border Rule Title 42, but now it's in limbo after the Supreme Court stepped in. The White House aims to scrap this temporary rule next week. Now senators on Capitol Hill are calling for bipartisan solutions to quell an expected surge at the border. Entity's Melina Wisecup breaks it down. So Title 42, since it's been enacted, it has allowed Border Patrol agents to return roughly 30% of all legal crossers back to Mexico. But this policy has always been a temporary one. And once it ends, most migrants will be processed under Title 8. Now, Title 8 is a U.S. law that technically requires illegal immigrants to be detained until their immigration proceedings have finished. But the Biden administration has been releasing the majority of migrants into the country under a humanitarian parole provision, which has allowed them to obtain work permits immediately. This has led to some Republicans on Capitol Hill accusing the administration of incentivizing illegal immigration. Here are some of those comments from today. 
This was not happening under the Obama administration. It is happening under this administration. The law is the same. The difference is this administration is not enforcing the law. This comes as border communities are already preparing for the worst. For example, in Texas, they sent National Guard troops to construct razor wire fences to prevent uh, the expected uh, flow of illegal immigrants from crossing there. And in the Yuma sector in Arizona, which is the sector that has, has the highest number of in custody migrants, is now having to release those illegal immigrants into their streets because the surrounding sectors are expected to quickly reach full capacity. Yuma's mayor actually wrote us in an email uh, saying that he recently met with the White House where he was told that his community would not be reimbursed for the costs they've already spent for transportation, food, and housing these illegal immigrants. Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema highlighted this issue in a fiery Senate floor speech. Here's a look. The city of Tucson has already accepted over 15% of its total population just in migrant releases since April of this year. And in Yuma, the threat of street releases persists every single day, including today. This crisis is not new. It's one that has progressively worsened year after year, administration after administration, due to the federal government's repeated failures to address our broken border and immigration system. Coming up, the World Health Organization has expressed concerns about China's recent spike in COVID cases, projection warn of a magnitude more cases in China in the coming months. And it's being called one of the biggest financial frauds in American history. The FTX scandal continues to unfold. Find out what charges two top executives were faced with yesterday, right here on NTD Good Morning. continuing the program with China. The COVID outbreak there is out of control. The number of people exposed is skyrocketing and the medical system is collapsing. Videos show hospitals overflowing. A voice saying they are all suffering severe pneumonia or respiratory failure. Elderly can be seen lying on the ground. In Chongqing Medical University Hospital, there are no more beds. Some are seen being treated on the floor. The outbreak in China is out of control, even in Beijing. A netizen posted a video in Beijing Hospital and said, Have you ever seen hell? Not only are everyday citizens struggling, high-ranking Communist Party officials who usually have privilege in getting better treatment are infected in large numbers and found themselves in the same dire situation. On December 20th, a netizen posted on Weibo that the wife of a former minister of electricity died in Beijing after being infected. The post includes notes from her son describing the scene when he was in the hospital. He said he almost fainted at the door. There was almost no room to place his feet, with corpses stacked horizontally and vertically. The doctor said that none of the elderly over the age of 85 admitted in the past few days returned home alive. He publicly questioned the number of deaths reported by the CCP. 
A similar situation was described in a video from another Beijing resident. She had to go to three different hospitals to treat her father. She said wait times were all a minimum of four hours and there was a shortage of beds. She said six people died while her dad was getting an IV. And some did not get a bed before they died. Millions are struggling to find treatment. Across many Chinese cities, pharmacies have sold out of fever and cold medicines. Reporting by Shi Wen, NTD News. The World Health Organization is expressing serious concern about the recent spike of COVID cases in China. Here's the WHO's Director General. WHO is very concerned over the evolving situation in China with increasing reports of severe disease. In order to make a comprehensive risk assessment of the situation on the ground, WHO needs more detailed information on disease severity, hospital admissions, and requirements for ICU support. And we need to get better ways of getting that data quickly so we can monitor together the situation because it's, it's in the interest of the Chinese health system to know where the pressure is in the system at any one time. It has reaffirmed its support to the Chinese regime for vaccinating those at highest risk, but also stressed the need for more up-to-date information from China. The WHO says while China has ramped up its vaccination efforts, the efficacy of Chinese-made vaccines is only at around 50 percent. Meanwhile, it also pointed out that China's definition of COVID deaths was inconclusive as the country was limiting it to people who have suffered respiratory failure. Projections warn of an explosion of cases with possibly over a million deaths next year. Let's move on to some business news. It's being called one of the biggest financial frauds in American history. The FTX scandal continues to unfold. Yesterday, the Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, charged two of Sam Bankman-Fried's top executives, Caroline Ellison and the former CEO of Alameda Research, and Gary Wong, the former chief technology officer and co-founder of FTX. The SEC called them active participants in a scheme to defraud FTX investors and swindle its customers. The SEC says Wong created a software code that allowed Alameda to divert FTX customer funds and that Ellison then used the misappropriated funds for Alameda's trading activity. They also accused them of manipulating the value of FTX's crypto security token. In a parallel action yesterday, federal prosecutors in Manhattan charged Wong and Ellison. Here's what Manhattan U.S. Attorney Damian Williams said. The Southern District of New York has filed charges against Caroline Ellison, the former CEO of Alameda Research, and Gary Wong, a co-founder of FTX, in connection with their roles in the frauds that contributed to FTX's collapse. Let me reiterate a call that I made last week. If you participated in misconduct at FTX or Alameda, now is the time to get ahead of it. We are moving quickly, and our patience is not eternal. William says Wong and Ellison are both cooperating with the government and that they pleaded guilty to multiple counts of conspiracy and fraud in the crypto scheme. Wong to four counts, of, including wire fraud, Ellison to seven counts, including money laundering. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried boarded a flight in the Bahamas last night for extradition to the U.S. He originally said he would fight extradition, but then reversed that decision. 
that might have something to do with the conditions of the prison he was being held in. It's being described as overcrowded and dirty with rats and maggots. Bankman-Fried was the second largest Democratic donor this election cycle after George Soros. He gave over $40 million to support Democrats. He's being accused of campaign finance violations, fraud, and conspiracy. The 30-year-old could potentially spend the rest of his life in jail. And captured on video by an eyewitness, a collision and a train derailment in Tennessee left roads closed and two people injured on Tuesday. Here's the stunning footage. Eyewitness video shows the moment a Norfolk Southern train impacted with a truck carrying concrete, resulting in the derailment of multiple train cars. According to Mark Walwyn, who witnessed the incident, he was recording because he wanted to show his kids the huge concrete span being transported by the truck, and then came the train. Walwyn said he parked his vehicle and ran to see if the drivers were okay, but they had already jumped out. Officials said the truck driver was not injured and Norfolk Southern employees were transported to a hospital. Local media reported the derailment of three locomotives and 10 cars, which were not carrying any hazardous materials. And one person is dead after a fuel tank exploded with a massive blast in a northern Colombian city yesterday morning. The victim was a 53-year-old fire firefighter who died after falling and receiving a blow to the head. Authorities said that efforts to control the fire would take up to four days as they must wait for all the fuel to be consumed first. Operations at the terminal are suspended until the fire is fully under control. The country's president, Gustavo Petro, expressed his support to the city's mayor on social media. And coming up, we visit a town in Indiana named Santa Claus. Find out more about the place where children from all over send letters to Santa. And an aquarium in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil is featuring a very different kind of Santa, one who's underwater delivering Christmas magic from a very unusual place. Stay with us to find out more. Who dresses in red, has a white beard, long flippers, and a diving cylinder on his back? That's right, it's Santa. But this time he's not touring the world delivering presents, but instead swimming with fish and sharks in the Aqua Rio's fish tank in Rio de Janeiro. The fish tank is home to around 2,000 fish. Felipe Luna, the scuba diver behind Santa's costume, said seeing the sparkle in children's eyes was the Christmas magic. But it was visitors of all ages who were fascinated by the diving Santa. He even blew kisses to his fans from inside the tank. Scuba Santa will be taking daily dives in the aquarium up until Christmas Day. A town called Santa Claus, yes, that's a real place in Indiana. And because of the unique name, for over a century and a half, letters directed to Santa have been sent to the town's post office. And for over a century, the town has been responding to the children. And Denise Flinders Kingsley with a story. Santa Claus, Indiana. Acquired its famous name in 1856. The town fully embraces its name and has become known for its Christmas spirit. Christmas is giving. Even though we, we make it perceive it as receiving, Christmas is giving. And it, you know, it all goes back to the very first Christmas where Jesus was given to us. So Jesus is the reason for the season. 
1914, Postmaster James Martin began answering children's letters to Santa. 91-year-old Pat Cook makes sure the tradition stays alive. The whole township gets involved to answer the 20,000 to 30,000 yearly letters. We have groups that call in and say we want to come after work, like the Chamber of Commerce or a bank or a school teachers. And we have a, a list of that, so I stay here as long as it takes to get letters answered. In 1930, the town was featured in Ripley's Believe It or Not. That year, the town received more than a million letters. Postmaster James Martin needed help answering the letters and so recruited Jim Yellig, Pat Cook's father. My father always had letters in the trunk of his car and we always had them on our dining room table and he took them to the sisters at Ferdinand to answer, to the priests at St. Minred, to the Dale High School uh, typing class. What do you want for Christmas? Pat's father became known as the real Santa from Santa Claus, Indiana, when he started working at the Santa-themed park. Opened in 1946, the park says it was the world's first theme park. He helped veterans get pensions and he had those marked with everybody's names, with everything he did. It was just a very, very generous giving man, like Santa Claus is, right? Right. <laughs> Now Pat runs the Santa's Museum and her daughters and granddaughters are taking up the tradition, keeping the spirit of Santa Claus alive. Flinders Kingsley, NTD News. All right, that story inspires me. It's time for some Santa jokes. Okay, which one of Santa's friends is most chill? I don't know. Please tell me. Jack Frost. Okay. <laughs> okay All right. Okay. Good All right, here's another one. Here's another one. What did Mrs. Claus tell Santa when she looked up at the sky? I don't know. It looks like rain, dear. I'll, you know what? I'll let these ones slide because it's so close to Christmas. <laughs> oh, thanks, Evelyn. <laughs> I don't want you to bring out that stage check again. Oh, no, but I'll consider it seriously <laughs> next time. All right, that's it for today. Good, uh, write us at goodmorning at uh, ntd.com if you have anything that you would like to share with us. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.